It's the Loose Filter Podcast, and I'm your host, Stuart Sims. This is episode number 111. It's a conversation with composer Jonathan Newman. And it's a really interesting and exciting episode, especially if you don't know Jonathan's music at all. Uh, A few years ago, I had the chance to sit down with Jonathan when I was conducting his Symphony No. 1, My Hands Are a City. And we talk a lot about that piece uh, and, and kind of its origins, its inspirations in beat culture of the, the middle of the 20th century in the United States with the beat poets and writers. Uh, we also talk about composing music more generally and some other uh, kind of things that come up. It's a, a, a very interesting conversation that I think you'll enjoy a great deal, especially if you don't know Jonathan's music at all. He is a very gifted composer who's written extensively for ensembles of all kinds, choir, orchestra, wind band, chamber groups of, of uh, many and varied co- uh, configurations. He's done arrangements uh, of all sorts of music, uh, including for prominent ensembles like Alarm Will Sound. His music is uh, extremely diverse stylistically, and uh, is is one aspect of it that's particularly fascinating to me is that even though he's clearly grounded as a, a, a classical composer, if you will, a loose descriptor, an imprecise descriptor, but his music is very um, uh, developmental. It's oriented. It, it's oriented to symphonic writing, long form writing. But it is still the music of a person who is from the United States and lives in the 21st century. So you hear not just uh, really beautifully rendered uh, uh, traditional approaches and influences in his music, but you hear things like uh, translations of funk music and style and rock and electronic and all sorts of other things that filter in and are, are blended into his compositional voice really wonderfully. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Here's a little sample of uh, some of Jonathan's music to sort of whet your appetite for this conversation.
So hopefully that grabbed your attention and made you want to know a little bit about the uh, the mind behind those sounds. Um, uh, so so here's a conversation again about his uh, symphony number one. My hands are a city. As always, you can find the Loose Filter Project online at loosefilter.com. Of course, our podcast archive is there, as well as a blog where uh, I post about all kinds of things, link to things and write about some things if you're into that. You can also find the podcast on SoundCloud, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And as always, we would love to hear from you, so any feedback should go to loosefilter at gmail.com. Without any further delay, here is my conversation with composer Jonathan Newman. The idea of the thing was to make something Big. There was a, a period of time that I was starting to see that, that I could see where the seven-minute pieces were never going to end. That there, there was there seemed there had to be something more than. And this is you're talking specifically <laughs> in band repertoire, well, band and wind ensemble repertoire, which of course, because of the nature of the instit- school institutions primarily commissioned, they love that seven to eight minute length of piece. And and we have an overabundance of that. It was starting to get me down. Yeah. Um, and yes, you're right. In chamber music and in in another in another forms, you do have a little more leeway with time. Uh, but it it was starting to get me down. And uh, I think when I when when I first started thinking about the project, the main thing I put out that I made sure and everybody who all the commissioners were on board with was that this was definitely going to be an expansive project. Um, and was everybody cool with that? Um, and so that was the the first uh, the first main thing with the piece. Of course, it started with another piece. It started because of a very short piece uh, initially, uh, and to expand that very short piece. That's interesting. Uh, hey, tell us oh, just a, a little bit about that. You wrote in uh, two thousand five. Was it two thousand five? Uh, two thousand five. Was was when the conference? Well, I assume you, you wrote it. Uh, uh, you were either there late late oh four, right? Or it was early 04, 05. Yeah. Uh, uh, a short uh, sort of flourish of a piece, a concert opener of a piece called "The Rivers of Bowery." That's right, and that that uh, title comes from the um, from Howe, from the Allen Ginsberg's seminal poem, long form poem, Howe, um, uh, from a really terrific uh, uh, verse from it, uh, and. You know the the idea of making a larger work that's sort of generally about the mid-century beat culture, uh, which is a very much a still sort of like a a part of the neighborhood where I where I am living now in New York. Um, Ginsburg's tenement is steps away from where I live. You can actually there's like a plaque on the. <laughs> on the outside, basically, right. it says how it was written here, you know. Right. Um, and there's a um, Charlie Parker's uh, apartment is right off of Tompkins Square, and there's a you know there's and now it's almost like a museum, I think, or it's not a museum, but I think it's you know some kind of certainly a, a shrine. Yeah. Um, it's impromptu taken, it's sacred taken space. care of. Right. Yeah. yeah. In some yeah, way. yeah. Um, and 
you know that kind of stuff it's still it's still around you still think about them as you're walking around because they were there so initially you you got attracted and and, and it it sparked this this small piece uh delightful work let's actually let's let's listen to a clip so that we have a little bit of a sound reference here's a little bit of of the rivers of bowery first uh when this piece was first performed uh it you know there was there was nice reaction but uh a lot uh, i was getting a lot of comments that there was quite a lot of music in there and um and that perhaps it needed to be a longer piece and i agreed as i i agreed but i it was more like i thought that it not only needed to be a longer piece it needed to be a much longer piece that there was actually that the 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 breadth of the idea of writing a piece about it's hard to say about the beats because I mean music is music and poetry is poetry and it's really kind of hard to write uh, music about, <laughs> about poetry <laughs> um, you know or pictures I mean we you know you take a stab and you do your best and and you say it is it's about something and everybody believes you I mean uh, so you know you. Like I said, we do our best. Um, and But that being said, it's about that. And so it's hard to think it needs to be bigger. There's so much. Uh, and so it because I love that stuff, I love that period in, in um, contemporary American history, and I love, uh, particularly love the literature of the period. What about, could, could you speak to that for a second? What about that, uh, the, the literature and, and sort of worldview of the Beats is it that really resonates with you? It's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever been able to articulate it. What about it? I like I the poetry speaks to me. I think because um, not in any way that I'm like I have to set that because it's very difficult to set a very prosaic their their pros their prosaic language, which is about you know garbage cans and uh, you know reefers and you know what right. you know it's right. hard to set that stuff to music uh everyday language that's not more florid or or more poetic but the rhythm of it and the um uh was i always uh really liked and i don't know they just were very interesting it was just a very interesting group of people i liked and you know so all of that all of that was um that's the baseline is that their 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 art is so attractive to me whether or not they're how important they are in the history you know it's all that secondary and is interesting but when it comes down to it i just you know think that they're 
their pieces are really good. Right, right. So you were you you were able to tap that a little bit in in creating first the shorter piece and then revisiting those ideas. And you said you treated then Rivers of Bowery as a sort of sketchbook. Exactly. And 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 then used it as sketches to to get the half hour symphony from. That's right. Uh, so what would you? Um, it was a very fast. It was a fascinating process for me. Yeah. It was interesting. Can can you talk about it a little bit? I, was, I mean, that was basically it. I mean, you basically that's that was it in a nutshell. As I would literally have the score of the Rivers of Bowery open at right. my desk, and I would make notes about what elements I wanted to use uh, in the various. Well, the first thing that was written was the what is now the third movement, um, and so honestly, I didn't know whether the other movements would ever really happen. Uh, I wasn't positive that they would. It was a, right because the the third movement was a, a commission unto itself. That's correct. It was commissioned unto itself uh, because, yeah, for for various economic reasons, it was a, a commission unto itself, and uh, it was certainly I thought possible that the other two movements wouldn't wouldn't happen. I didn't even know how many other movements there would be, but I assumed that there would be at least three, and um, so I kind of put as much into that movement as I could with the thought that uh, if it didn't, it would still be a, a big piece about what I wanted it to be about. Right. Um, and uh, then it seemed to work, and then I had the opportunity to do the other two movements, and there was still plenty more to do and plenty more material to use, uh, and uh, and so I continued. Uh, and, that, and I went and I counted. I don't, it's 29 total over the two commissions. 29 total schools okay. participated. So this was a massive project, and we have to give a huge head nod <laughs> to Jeff Gershman. Who put it all together. Who put it all together, who is a friend friend to you and a friend to me as one of the commissioners for putting it together, but I think a friend to everybody because he helped serve as the conduit for your music to get you know created and born and put out into the world. And he did it without complaint. And, <laughs> uh, right. I mean, it's uh, and it was his first consortium, I think. Oh, that's impressive. And I, I, what, what even spoke to me more in going through a sort of, you know, sussing the stuff out is a prefatory remarks for the lecture. Ten schools from the first commission repeated for the second commission, yeah. which means that the by far the vast majority were absolutely ready for more and wanted the rest of the piece, which is, I think, a tremendous compliment. I, I never thought uh, about that. Uh, to the, about like the, that, the first chunk, to the third movement, uh, you know, and, and how it was received. Thank you. Um, so now we have this del- almost a half hour, just shy of a half hour, three movements. Uh, so I wonder if you could offer just a few comments on each movement. We didn't, you know, we don't want the podcast to run too long, and we want to include some sound clips. But the uh, the first movement uh, across the uh, groaning continent, across the groaning continent, which is a uh, a line from on the road itself, um, and. Uh, and that was, I picked that line or that phrase um, because it, it encapsulates the, the most interesting part of On the Road to me, which is it's sort of a, or at least the, the main characters in On the Road, is their restlessness, is that they are so itchy to continually move from wherever they go to Denver and then they sit there for a couple of weeks and do some things and then you know they just got to get out of there man and they right. get in the car and they got to go got to go got to go 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 right and that's exactly right and and um uh 
and that's that runs through the whole and I think that speaks a bit of the the beat uh, you know their thing that's the beat uh, mindset is the, the the restlessness right right um, never quite satisfied with just sitting and being you can't sit and be for a while but then you got you got then you got to go yeah then you got to go yeah. uh, and that's not now that's that's one big reason the movement is so kinetic well there's also there's a lot of driving in the book right it's my this is my car this is my driving fast movement all right uh, which i've never written one but uh you know everybody's got their their car going fast barn burner of a movement <laughs> and so this is mine i mean there's so many there's countless uh scenes in the book where you know neil cassidy and and kerouac are uh or the characters that represent those you know right uh sal and what's neil cassidy's character's name again uh, i don't remember oh we have to look it up yeah, now. We'll yeah. um uh are you know in that their huge boat of a car <laughs> and just flying down the road and the you know he describes it in intimate detail and so there's a lot of that that's where the Excellent. Let's listen to a little bit of uh, Across the Groaning Continent. So the second movement of your symphony is called The Americans. Tell us about that a little bit. That comes directly, stolen directly the title of uh, Robert Frank's book of photographs called The Americans, which in, you know, I might get the, the date wrong, was, I think it was 1955 or 1954, he had, a, Robert Frank had a Guggenheim, I think it was a, a Guggenheim, a Guggenheim yeah. to uh, travel the country and, and take photographs for which, a year or two for a, quite, it, a, quite a long it, it time it was at least a year maybe two yeah um, and uh, which he did and uh, the resultant uh, book became a very quite famous at least in photography circles um, book for various reasons uh, which uh, some photographer at, at some point told me what why it's, it's so such a seminal piece uh, because <clears throat> it might have been like the first time that photographs weren't really shown in any particular order it wasn't chronological. It wasn't um, okay. going around. It wasn't um, directional. 
it was just sort of, you know, there's Louisiana one and then New, New York City and then, you know, someplace else. Um, and it didn't particularly show the United States in a, in a flattering light, so to speak. Right. That was also controversial. Um, I mean, Walker Evans's book was uh, the... Uh, we Now we praise famous men. Uh, Let us praise famous men. Oh, that's close, but not the exact title. Um, uh, was also not particularly flattering, but it was specifically supposed to show the underbelly of right, right. Uh, American poverty. This wasn't. It was just like a picture of the United States. And... Um, it was looking through it. If uh, you know, I I mean, I knew of the work, but didn't really dive into the collection until I started uh, uh, studying your symphony. And it it looks like he just uh, didn't judge. He didn't look for any particular kind of America or any kind of particular places. He just went everywhere, all classes, all levels of, and, and yeah. photographed right. who he saw, the right. reality of the people as he encountered them. Yeah. Well, this happened. Robert Frank, of course, was a friend of all the beat guys, and he did. He made movies with them and did various other projects with them. But he knew the, you know, the, he was part of the circle. Um, he's actually Swiss, um, and is still alive and is living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, very elderly. Um, I first came across the photographs at the Chicago Art Institute um, and saw an exhibit there and was like, these are fantastic. And, um, <laughs> right, right. They and it was like, my something has to be with the piece with this. You know, I think this is my second movement. You know, something like that. Okay. And it was, that was kind of just immediate. It was a, an a recognition. It was an immediate a, reaction as soon as I walked in the room looked at the dates, read about the, what the circumstances of the thing and who he was. And right. I was like, yeah, this is... And then I need to knew, do more about this. At the time, the book was out of print that I, was, that I had first started this. It was very difficult to get your hands on this. So I actually had to go to the library and they didn't have lending versions of it. It was a reference. So I right. had to keep going back to the library to look <laughs> at the book. Um, and, uh, and then miraculously, as I was working on the piece, or, I was just starting, it came back in print and I, you know, scooby copy and uh, now have one of my own. And it, it's now, now there's a big, there was a big exhibition at the Met and everything. And now it's, you can pretty much get your hands on the book pretty easily. Right. Um, uh, it, just in the course of a couple of years. Um, so that's how that started. That was in the process of me doing my research for the piece which went on for and you did a, you did an amazing amount of research talk about I mean before you ever even more than I ever really needed to because I mean at a certain point you have to kind of sit down and just you know, <laughs> write the flipping piece you know? right um, uh, and I did have to force myself to just stop eventually alright enough now you have to write it you know it's enough it's fun because it's fun right. to you know read the books and look at the video you know look at the films and read the poetry and oh you know what maybe and then as you read more you learn about more of the uh, works and then you want to read those right you know that kind of thing so as it goes it feeds on itself and especially as personally connected as they were because they talk about each other they write right, oh, well, very self who's so and so who's that or an alias for and then you've tracked totally that down self-referential yeah. right americans in your yeah. symphony to pull us back uh on some sort of narrative thread here is is the the moment of uh sort of repose and reflection musically and in terms of energy in the piece. And it was structured to be that. I mean, I yeah. think it's your, it's your classic second movement to give a break, uh, you know, a rest. I, 
I made the I str- I made it so that, and this was always part of the plan that it's orchestral winds. Uh, this, there's no percussion. There's no um, uh, saxophones. No euphoniums. Um, it's very. It was uh, modeled after the, uh, the Stravinsky symphonies of winds. Um, uh, revised, um, of course, a- instrumentation, um, and uh, there is piano, and uh, that was it. my thought. Was if I took that stuff away, that it might vaguely give the impression it would be a slightly different sound, and might give the impression of maybe it was like strings only. You know what I mean, like the string only mm-hmm. middle movement or something like that. Um, and I think it kind of does work like it, that. It's a strikingly different palette, actually, yeah. uh, uh, um, from 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 the outer movements. I think definitely it's much more uh, austere. I find um, uh, in a way that that really it works really well for the directness of the gestures. I think because it's you know it's such a lyrical, beautifully uh, uh, sculpted sort of movement. I think and and. Uh, that that austereness of the ensemble, I think, really renders those ideas vividly. At the very least, thank you. At the very least, me. I thought it was going to be, you know, it's a, it's a break. The outer movements are the huge right. group. They've got electric guitar, you know, um, and they're loud. And, and tons of notes. And, there are tons yeah. of notes, and so this was supposed to be the anti-that. And there are some, there are some uh, interesting uh, uh, musical influences, uh, classical musical influences in this movement. Yes, I suppose there are. Well, okay, there's the obvious of Copeland, Virgil Thompson, um, uh, Americana kind of sound. Right. The um, one you mentioned I found interesting, a composer I don't listen to often, but, but have in studying the piece, Tobias Picker. Tobias Picker, yeah. Tobias Picker. Who's a very interesting composer. Um, and uh, he wrote a piece in, uh, I think it was the 80s, um, called Old and Lost Rivers that I always found it an attractive piece yeah. and I always uh, liked it and so that I was thinking of that piece a lot when I uh, was doing this movement because I it was kind of like I think I want to do a kind of Old and Lost Rivers kind of thing uh, so I actually I got the score and, and looked at it or played through it a lot and so I, it's not definitely not the same but I, it, was, it, it, uh, it definitely had an influence yeah Let's uh, let's listen to a, l- a couple of clips from the second movement. This is uh, the Americans. Finally, we come to the third movement, which is uh, uh, the, move- the title of the movement is also the title of the piece. My hands are a city, and it's uh, about actually musically is is half of the work, uh, fully fully half of the work. It's almost as if it's a four movement symphony, and the last movement is the last two movements, kind yeah. of in one. Yeah, and so it opens with uh, uh, a a sort of composed improvisation built around this bass clarinet solo. Talk to us about that opening four to five minutes of, of part of my research it's hard to call it research 
because I, I wasn't writing a paper, but essentially that's what it is, was uh, listening to every, as much of what these guys were listening to as possible. And um, everybody kind of associates they were listening to bebop obviously um uh which was the hip cool downtown music of the time it wasn't mainstream at all it was very you know um you know the smoky club uh in the back you know the the show started at two in the morning kind of thing um that only the cool people kind of knew where to go you know right right Um, that kind of culture is still around today you know uh but so they were listening to Bebop, but everybody associates Charlie Parker with that. And so you assume, you make an assumption that they were all listening to Charlie Parker. And I read something, I don't remember under what circumstances, that somebody in, later in life, Ginsburg, was interviewed and he said, you know what, we really, you know, Charlie Parker's great and all, and everybody assumes that Hal is, is Charlie Parker. It's not. It's Lester Young. It's all Lester Young. And he was talking specifically about Hal and he was talking specifically about Lester Leaps In. He said he was list, literally listening to Lester Leaps In as he wrote How. This is my memory of this thing that I read, an interview that I read. I could be wrong, you know, if somebody wants to research it in some way. <laughs> I, I could be wrong on some elements. Emails but, go to yeah. Jonathan at Jonathan New- <laughs> So I I read that and I grabbed it and then I got myself a... Um, an original copy of uh, of the uh, of Lester Leaps In, which is actually a um, a, uh, a Count Basie record, right? One of the, the earliest recordings of the tune with uh, when when Young was very Young, was young himself, yeah. Lester with Young the Basie band. was with the Basie band, and um, uh, and it was his feature. It was a feature album. It was it was feature track. They so there was the title track on the uh, t- cut. I guess you would call it on that record, um, and. Uh, and uh, listened to you know got listened to everything I could get my hands on of Lester Young and start and the Charlie Parker and um, and other things and uh, started figuring out what was attractive to me and so Lester that Lester Leapson specifically I um, took his solo and uh, from that recording and sort of used parts of it in the piece. Um, the first four minutes of My Hands Are a City, the third movement, is essentially Lester Leaps In's, uh, Lester Young's solo from Lester Leaps In slowed down to a crawl and stretched out and, you know, with octaves and paused in places. And right, and lots of, I mean, in a hugely kaleidoscopic, of course. That's what compositionally, the big dimension that you've added uh, uh, for, for My Hands Right, it, it, right. The sort of holding on to various notes and things okay. like that, and that's uh, that's basically that's basically it. I also did took some stuff from um, uh, Charlie Parker's Scrabble from the Apple, um, uh, and uh, used a progr- an altered progression from there that uh, worked with my Rivers of Bowery tune, and. Um, uh, worked with other material from the Rivers of Bowery pretty well. It was, I slightly altered it, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, to make it work. And uh, so the result is that there actually is very, there's ev- almost every note in that movement either somehow comes from the bebop source material 
or um, from the rivers of Bowery, music from the rivers of Bowery, um, which has no bebop source material in it. It's just written. Right. Um, in fact, at some point, I don't think I've ever told you this. Um, I had written a chart, a bebop, uh, basically a, a bebop chart, uh, separate, and I had inserted it into the middle section of that movement. Really? Um, you know, the tenor sax. The aleatoric section. The, the, the night in the city section is what I think. Uh, there you go. The yeah. night in the yeah. city section, the, the tenor sax uh, plays a thing and the bass right. plays right Answers. after. <clears throat> Those are the only two elements left from, it was a whole tenor sax thing and a bass and I had a, I had a like, you know. Uh, oh, you, no, you've never told me yeah. that before. So That's there was going to be a whole yeah. extended section and I had even presented it to Jeff, to Jeff Gershman at some point with that section intact and uh, there was some discussion, and it was eventually cut. <laughs> <laughs> Modified greatly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which that everybody was right about. It, right. Was a, too, it was on the nose. It was too, like, you know, now we do the jazz section. Right, a little too a, overt. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and even I knew that at the time, but I just I had to do it. So there's actually, you know, a chart with... Wow. It works well. The way you translate it, it's interesting because it works well now. You get the sense in that section. Uh, this is, you know, sort of feels like it's at the midpoint of the movement, and uh, you just you just enter this. Uh, feels like night in the city. You hear rain, and and I feel like you're hearing sounds drift out of clubs and so forth, and you're getting snatches. I of guess that that's kind of what is, how, that's the result. I didn't it didn't plan it to be sound like that, but I I think I planned to have snippets of you know jet, you know bebop happening yeah let's hear a little bit of that So that was the uh, sort of night in the city section. Uh, let's listen to uh, one more clip to give to give listeners a sense of, of of the rest of this movement. This is a section that features uh, what you think of as the Rivers of Bowery melody, the the most identifiable melodic quote that is used in every movement at one point appears throughout the symphony at one point or another. That's true. It is in every movement, yeah. and in different yeah. guises and meters, and but it's always you know you can you you catch it. Uh, 
couple of times it's overt, but as you pointed out to me earlier, <laughs> there are some, some more subtle manifestations of it too that occur. And well, and that's one of the things I should say, and is so clear in the third movement. The third movement to me is a little bit uh, of a Rosetta Stone to your music in general because it is so clearly constantly developmental. Uh, and, and I think that that is one of the most attractive aspects uh, in the listening experience of that third movement. You get this opening section that is meditative and, and sparse, and it's clearly, uh, I mean, it's like an intermezzo. It's a third, the third movement section. And then when it moves from there, when it clicks and becomes you know organized, composed, symphonic music again, um, uh, uh, the sections connect so naturally and then recur with constant development. It's just very satisfying. And uh, I wanted to play a clip of that, and then I was going to ask you the last question, which is, what makes this a symphony? So here's another clip from the third movement, My Hands Are a City. Having uh, listened to a little bit of it, why why is this a symphony? Other than just, you know, it's in three movements and it's long. I actually never didn't think that it was going to be. That wasn't the idea. The idea, I always thought, okay, we'll call it a, I always referred to it as a large multi-movement work or, or a multi-movement work or something like that. The word symphony didn't come up for a long time in my head. And then once I had started you know, working on the other two movements, which I actually sort of worked on simultaneously. It's started popping in my head that perhaps the title of this was Symphony Number no. One, and I resisted at first. What, uh, what just too seemed like too much. It it's no no. It's kind of like no. It was much more of a. Uh, who are you to <laughs> to to use this to use that? I mean, it's a venerated term. I mean, you have to really it. I, I f- for lots of reasons. For one, I mean, to be completely honest, I mean, it was a wind ensemble piece, and so you didn't, you don't necessarily, you think that you're that a symphony is for orchestra first and foremost. We're all kind of over that now. We've heard plenty of symphonies for 
wind ensemble is a perfectly reasonable thing to think. But still, my, my initial reaction was, no, it's not an orchestra piece. Um, but then I made myself get over that. And, um, and then you are left with the only issue of Beethoven wrote some good symphonies and, you know, <laughs> Uh, so did you know Mr. Mahler and you know there's, Mr. Brahms right and, and uh, there's a grand tradition of these things that um, to name it that immediately means that you think you belong in the same line right and, well, and I imagine it's harder too because they're you know if you're writing in Germany in the middle of the 19th century there's a there's a clear tradition and stylistic practice that you can plug into that you would be symphonic writing and writing things called symphonies, but there isn't, we we've lost a symphony and haven't had one for a long time. Even though composers have continued to write symphonies, there's not a lineage like the great Viennese lineage of symphonies that lasted what, uh, uh, over a century, a little over a century. Uh, even so, even after that, though, I mean, Mahler, I think, was the one who, for me, started this kind of idea. Is the symphony is more than just a process or a form; it's a world. It's anything yeah. that encompasses a grand idea. Uh, and so then you start thinking about, well, you know, um, uh, John Corleano wrote, uh, you know, the, his first symphony was a grand idea, you know. Wasn't necessary, and so when you start thinking about, well, this is a large. It's about something pretty big, for me, uh, and it's fairly it's fairly lengthy, and it's multi movement, and it's large ensemble. Why not? Right. And so there was a question of, okay, I can do this. I will call it a symphony, and because it, it fulfilled all of my criteria of it, what what my definition of was. your definition of a symphony, as we've dis- discussed, is is. Very oh, intriguing to me. Well, and, it, that's not yeah. the definition of a symphony. It's what makes music symphonic. Oh. So symphonic music it doesn't only have to be in a symphony. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. What's your definition of a symphony? Uh, I don't know that I have one. That's Boy, we could just tangent off on a whole separate <laughs> podcast on this. Because, you know, it's interesting because the generation of composers before you to a great degree, have avoided that word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, John, yeah. we were talking about this yesterday. John Adams has written at least three symphonies, but he's called none of them symphonies. Yeah, yeah, there was a, and that, that's been going on for quite a while. Right. Uh, that, that, that was pointedly avoided um, because they very much didn't want to do that. In any case, I had made my own definition of my, in my head of what I, 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 I think my definition would be what yours is. What uh, to clarify, uh, listeners? What we were talking about earlier, as I was uh, talking about what what makes music symphonic, and it's a question I think about. What's the difference between a song and a symphony, other than length? You know, could 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 you write a symphony for rock band, and could you write a song for orchestra? Uh, and I think you could. I think you could. Fl- I mean, I don't. I don't like you said. It's not instrumentation specific. It's an idea uh, uh, of of you're you're letting the listener know up front the scope and depth. Of endeavor that you're undertaking, and uh, you know Bernstein's thing. What makes music symphonic is development, and you, you have to have time to have development. And and symphonies are uh, still in in concert music our biggest vehicle for that kind of development. I th- and I think you're right. I don't think there's anything else to call this piece of yours because it it it's large scale. It coheres on the large scale. More importantly, it's not just that you wrote 30 minutes of music. You wrote thirty minutes of music that all is from the same DNA and is and is obviously connected 
from, from moment to moment and is really developmental from top to bottom, not just within each movement. And I, I, I don't think there's anything other to call that than a symphony. Good. I'm glad. I mean, you know, I'm I glad mean, it works. I, but that was it. I, I, I think it's an the, accurate description of the of the okay, of good. the music that's on the page. Yeah. When, when I mean, when I realized it fulfilled all of the criteria of my definition, then how can you not call? I it was that? like, all right, yeah. fine, you know, right. And it, it, so, but it does come back to my original. What I had said at the beginning when we first started talking was, when I first started thinking about the piece in general, the whole idea was to do something with big development. I was tired of having to wrap up what I was right. right working on so that it would fit in seven or eight minutes. I always felt rushed. I always, I was, with every piece, I was feeling like I just had to cut so much and I had to, right. it, it never, it was sad, it, it was starting to be less satisfying to write the pieces because I always felt like I was cramming stuff and this, in. this kind of epitomizes the difference right a seven minute song is long right but a seven minute symphonic work you can barely get an idea out there that's very true and that's exactly true I, I always felt like I could just barely get my idea out and so the the idea here was like you know what I'm just gonna go and, and see how long it is you mentioned in our, our conversation in the conducting seminar earlier that uh, you warned all the commissioners yeah that I remember this. It's like, just this is going to be a big one, folks. Yeah. And, you know, of course, from, from my perspective and knowing many of the other commissioners personally, that was what we were, we were seeking, you know. And there are bigger ones, certainly. It's not the biggest thing out there. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, so long. There are certainly long. Even wind ensemble pieces, there are plenty of longer ones. Okay. I, I, I do I think it's that. a recent phenomenon in, in wind band repertoire that we're getting full-blown, mature, full-scale I think it's a good step works. in the development of the wind band repertoire. Yeah, it's a I, good step. I agree. Uh, so we will we will cadence there. I think uh, on on this piece and and following this podcast, we will have up very soon a recording that we uh, uh, are doing of this wonderful symphony. So you can listen to the whole thing through. Go to jonathannewman.com to learn all uh, about Jonathan his music. He is very very generous with. Uh, 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 allowing you to listen to nearly all of your music, I think, on your website and score excerpts. And it's really wonderful uh, and, and accessible for you to dive into his music. So I encourage you to do that. And thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Thank you, Stuart.